Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode eight, One Does Not Simply Bone the Bone. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkien verse ahead. With that said, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. We're back uh, with a single chapter episode. Our first episode just dealing with just one chapter. because No, this it's is not. The... That's not true. Is it not true? I think we did another We've one. We've done where, other yeah. single chapter episodes. Really? <laughs> but this is the one at the end of book one. So <laughs> yeah. it's a good place to stop. <laughs> All right. So we're back with our very first single chapter episode. Um, this, one, uh, this one dealing with uh, chapter 12. Chapter 12, which is the very last chapter in book one of The Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, uh, accompanied now by Strider, um, flee Weathertop, and uh, they're trying to make their way to Bruin and the Bruinen River, which is just outside the bounds of uh, of Imladris, also known as Rivendell. Um, this, is a, this is a tough one for them. Um, they're being pursued. Uh, they're being pursued by Black Riders, but what makes it weird is that they don't actually know where the Black Riders are. Um, so as as the as the team makes their way um, towards the ford of Bruinen, um, they they see hide nor hair of the Black Riders for most of their journey, and that creates this mounting tension. Finally, after after trekking through the woods um, for a good long while, uh, they're surprised to meet Glorfindel, who's an elf uh, who's been sent by Elrond. Um, essentially to to make sure that they don't uh, lose their way in the wilderness or get hunted down by the riders before they make before they make it to Rivendell. And uh, with Glorfindel's help, uh, they they finally get across the river. Um, and then Frodo faints, which is a, an awesome chapter ending that, you know, is uh, it's just not used enough, in my opinion. Someone just fainting. Um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Didn't you do it's it at the end much. of the last chapter, too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frodo just that's that is that is Tolkien's um that is one of Tolkien's favorite uh devices it seems like from what we've read so far um it actually seems like Tolkien has now used this multiple times to get out of writing a fight scene um <laughs> is that does that seem to you guys like like that's what's going on like Tolkien just Ishana you put in your notes that Tolkien just doesn't seem to like writing fight scenes yeah I definitely got that sense in part because frodo passing out at the end of the last chapter two or two chapters ago when the black riders stab him is very convenient but then again here the part that really made me kind of raise my eyebrows was if you're pursuing a group of people and you know there is one bridge that will let them get to where they're going, and you don't set up an ambush at that bridge, like, I'm sorry. They they even talk what? about the whole time, they're like, we're definitely going to be ambushed at this bridge, right? Like, there's going to be an ambush, right? And then there just is not one. Yeah. And I know Glorfindel says something like he chased the Black Riders away, but he's only one person why wouldn't some of them just circle around and come back yeah i have a lot of questions about the black writers like planning abilities in this chapter in general first of all why did they just leave like after stabbing frodo i'm really still not sure why they did not continue their attack in any way so we get this like vague 
mention that it's because Frodo name-dropped Elbereth Gilthoniel. Um, but then he does it again later in the chapter, and the the writer just laughs at him. Well, no, um, it's because... <laughs> you can only use it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm really unclear here on, one, why they left in the first place, and two, why they aren't just continuously attacking this group. Like, I don't get it. I mean, again, I I think Tolkien is notorious for, in The Hobbit, basically not writing the big final battle that the entire book is leading up towards. And uh, are you referring to the Battle of the Five Armies, which took up an entire terrible movie? Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, and not that I think the movie did a better job of doing that but like it basically doesn't get described in the hobbit book and so i think we can say we have some pretty consistent evidence that tolkien given the option is going to avoid writing a a fight scene and it does feel a little bit like there isn't a super compelling reason for the black riders not to be attacking them or, like, not to have come back and just finished Frodo off, other than Tolkien being like, well, I don't want to do that. I think it's especially frustrating because, like, this is a a particularly plot-wise action-packed chapter, right? Like, a lot happens in this chapter. But still the majority of the pages of the writing are dedicated to describing their damn walk through this forest. And I'm just like, I still... First of all, it is just amazing to me to think that I read this as a kid and was fine with this because, man, I didn't even, like, have the appreciation then that I have now for, you know, beautiful descriptions and and flowery language. And the fact that I just dragged myself through this many pages of a description of walking just is a mark of my dedication to actually finishing this series. Yeah, I definitely had a realization this chapter in terms of what my feelings are on all the walking. And I'm realizing why I think I struggle with all the walking. And it it almost comes back to the mechanics and like what Tolkien likes to do and what Tolkien doesn't like to do. I don't mind that he likes descriptions and geography and history and songs and whatever else. But the part to me that feels unbalanced is that we get so little in the way of like characterization or character moments out of all of this description and out of all of like the songs. So it feels like there's very little payoff in terms of learning more about the characters doing these things. And if there had been more of that, I feel like it'd be easier to be invested in things like the walking. But that's kind of my sense of like, no, if I had to try and fix this, how I would do it. And I don't know if you two have different opinions. I so totally is what you want is what you want, like more, um, more insight into what the different characters are thinking from moment to moment or more, more conversation or character building. What, like what, what is it that you're looking for? I think any of those would help. I'm I'm thinking of, for instance, there's a moment in this chapter where um, they come across the trolls 
that Bilbo and the dwarves encountered back in The Hobbit that have now been petrified for many years. And Sam stands up and does a recitation of a poem ditty song thing that he wrote himself, which goes on for like three pages. And then at the end, we get like four lines of the other characters kind of responding to and talking about the fact that Sam wrote this himself. And that's where I'm like, I I would love to see either, like, is Sam embarrassed but kind of pleased by this response? Are the others going to keep giving him a hard time about it? Or are they also kind of like, hey, it's cool that Sam the gardener has this thing for language and writing. Um, I I want to just give a quick shout out to the end of the poem that Sam reads in which there is the line, with the bone he boned from his owner. And then the next line is, and I don't know how he wanted this pronounced, but it's donor boner. (laughs) Like a donor kebab? I don't know. It just, it's D-O-N-E-R, which seems like it would be dunner, but then it also needs to rhyme with boner. Does Tolkien not know what a boner is? Is the word boner new? I, so I, I googled this, and definitely by this time, boner meant like somebody, like a mistake or somebody making kind of a dumb error. Mm, okay. But... At least one site, and this is the only site, like every other time I've seen any sort of etymology in this very quick Google search, it all comes from this one place. But at least one site is arguing that the meaning of erect penis is from the 1950s, from earlier, quote unquote, bone on in the 1940s. Hmm. Also, I will say British people also do say the phrase like, you've cocked it up. So maybe they just yeah. like to interchange those words a lot. Do you think that if you could ask Tolkien about um, about these stories and you said, like, did, did you care about developing these characters at all? Do you think that he would say, no, I, I, that's like, that's not, that's not like my main focus here. Or would he say like, yeah, of course I did. What? The really weird thing, the really weird thing to me is like, Tolkien was doing this successfully in the first few chapters of the book. I mean, if we just rewind a few episodes ago when we were discussing, like, the initial Shire chapters, we were, like, super delighted by the amount of characterization that happens. Like, these little things like Bilbo's, you know, sassy gifts and things like that, like, those built up who these people were. And it seems like he's just lost track of that part of the story entirely. And he's like, whatever, you know who they are now. I'm just going to focus on, like, where they're going. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really accurate that it wasn't this way in the first couple of chapters. And now it's just, like, walking. And then you get a couple of sentences about what they actually do that evening when they set camp. And then a song and you get a couple of sentences of response and then more walking and you get like a little tiny bit of characterization at the end of it. But I want to get us a better sense of are they, are their relationships with each other changing over time? Are they seeing each other in different lights now that they're 
out on the road and doing this traveling because we had talked a couple of episodes about a couple of episodes ago about how Mary and Pippin are quite a bit younger than Frodo and they sort of look up to him, but they're also worried he's going to leave. And I wonder if that perception has changed at all in traveling with him now. And has Frodo's perception of Sam changed at all? And has Sam's perception of the other three changed? Like all of those things to me, I would imagine are happening because there's a difference too between like knowing someone really well in kind of a like, oh yeah, they might like you might see them at family meetings or they might work for you versus and now you're spending literally every minute of every day together for weeks. It doesn't seem like they even really have. I don't want to say they don't have relationships with each other, but the narration seems very focused on like what each individual is doing. So I don't quite get a sense yet of like Strider's stake in this matter and whether he like cares about these hobbits at all or whether he's just kind of trying to help Gandalf out or whatever it is. Like I don't get the sense of what his relationship is to them other than just he is a hero. How much do you guys think that like this this um this sort of uh like not very relationship building focused um vibe that the chapter gives off is actually about like the like like parts of like the style in which it's written because like when you when you hear about anyone's thoughts you're mostly hearing about frodo's thoughts but there are also sentences here and there that go into sam's, sam's thoughts or 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 mary's thoughts right um and then there's an even larger portion of the text that is written from no one's perspective at all it's it's sort of like a it's like a hawk was flying over and just watching them go um it's a completely different vibe if um if you're only if you're only seeing it from like the point of view of a single character and i think that does lend itself to um to relationship building a like a little bit more because you're you're doing more um like there there's it's sort of expected that there's going to be more observing of how people are acting right through the eyes of um through the eyes of a main character because i think for it's yeah. it's sort of it's sort of disorienting to expect that a like an omniscient narrator could could dive deeply into the points of view or even the actions that matter of like individual characters. I'm doing I kind think of that, a bad job of saying this. I guess I just mean that like No, I I think as you said this I kind of realized what what the other part of the issue there is cuz you're right. Like you know, this narrator doesn't really know the thoughts and feelings of each individual character, but I think part of the problem here is that there's actually really very little dialogue that happens between these characters like they're supposed to be walking for like i think a week if not more than that um and i think we get like a couple maybe three or four times that they actually talk to each other we get like sam's song that he sings or poetry that he says i don't really know what form that took but we so they basically ask him to tell the story and he tells it uh, we get a little bit of back and forth about Bilbo's trolls. We get um, basically Aragorn continuously telling them that like they're going the wrong way. 
Um, but like, there's very little actual interaction that happens between these characters. So it's like, it's almost like we both don't know what's happening in their heads and we don't see them interact with each other in a way that would tell us their relationships at all. I mean, I think another way of uh, uh, another way of uh, reading the sort of lack of um, of obvious character development and relationship development that goes on in these chapters is really just that this is a story about men, right? That like, <laughs> um, oh <there's>... yes, <laughs> men are simple. So you are correct. <laughs> no, I don't mean simple. I mean like I mean like, there's no <laughs> bad at relationships. <laughs> no, like uh, if anything, it's more like uh, uh, the. That there's um uh no i mean like is it actually a conversation right? is it actually like, incredibly yeah. realistic that these men would be hiking together and not be saying anything <laughs> yes yeah, it, I mean, it seems like it seems like some of the like the, there are moments in this story when um you know when when you will get markers of character development and it will be incredibly stark right like there will be a line that's like frodo realized that he loved aragorn as a brother or something like that like that's going to happen at some point and and there, there's that's very it's very telly and not showy in that way and i think that is i think that is reflective of like a sort of traditionally like masculine way of of um of interacting with people even people that you really care about um yeah and, and I, I mean i think the the larger conversation we want to have around this right is there is a, a character who is very noticeably missing from this chapter. Um, if you've Compared seen the, the movies, movies yeah, if, you've, if you're familiar with the movies, you're like, wait a minute, who the hell is Glorfindel? And why is he rescuing Frodo? Because as we all know, this is Arwen's job, right? Arwen is the character in the movie who shows up in the forest to rescue Frodo, who takes him back to Rivendell. She's the one who summons the horses at the river um, with some kind of elf magic that... <laughs> It may or may not be Tolkien accurate, but um, she is not here in this. And okay, si- funny side note: there is a Sporkle quiz. Uh, if you're not familiar with Sporkle, it's basically like a trivia quiz site. It's really fun. Go check it out. Um, there's a Sporkle quiz in which you name the like characters by the t- number of times they're mentioned in these books. Um, and so you kind of like you're going through this Whoa. quiz. Yeah, it's like the top. I think it's the top twenty or something like that, and you're going through, and you're. That would be a really weird thing to know. <laughs> do you do you now? Do you have like a? Do you now like know this about like all the characters? Do you have this like in your mind? I don't have it like memorized, but I have a pretty good idea of who's on this list. Um, but I think it's like the top. Man, now I'm I'm gonna look up how many it is because this number is kind of relevant to what I'm trying to say. I mean, it's got to be what like Frodo, Sam. Aragorn slash Strider, Gandalf. Gollum, right? Gollum probably is up there. Depending on whether or not you're counting, like, every time they say the enemy, does that count as a mention of Sauron? I don't think so. Um, Okay, top 50. Here we go. All right. Um, So obviously, like, you got your main fellowship in the top, and then Sauron is up there, Saruman is up there, all of this stuff. So the the last person on this list is mentioned twenty five times in the book. So the the most is mentioned nineteen hundred times. Sorry, almost almost two thousand times. And uh, the the least mentioned from this fifty is mentioned twenty five times. Arwen doesn't make this list. 
She is not even mentioned 25 times in the book. Oh, I didn't know that. So, like... Wow, I didn't realize that, like, the extent to which, like, like Peter Jackson, the producers of, of LOTR, really, like, mined the appendices to, like, find something that they could, like, find, like, a female character that they could use as, like, a romantic interest. Yeah, well, okay, so she is there as a romantic interest for Aragorn, right? Like, she exists in the books, but she's mentioned very, very infrequently. And like it would be just as easy to drop her from the film. Exactly, yeah. Um, it would probably be easier, actually, than to make her this kind of main character. But I, I've listened to um, the the commentary from Peter Jackson on this, and basically, like, their reasoning for doing this was kind of, like, threefold. First of all, when she appears to rescue Frodo, the reason they did this was because Glorfindel never shows up again. And they were like... If this dude is going to be this irrelevant, what is the point of introducing him at this point? The second thing uh, was, you know, just to kind of further Aragorn's character arc a little bit and have some kind of stakes for him that are present in the movie. And then the third thing, which I think is the most important thing, was like, there are no women in this story. Like, the most important woman that we interact with in the story is probably either Eowyn or Galadriel, like canon from the books. Um, that's not a lot of women, right? Women are conspicuously missing from the fellowship altogether. We've interacted with, I think, two so far in the form of Goldberry and, uh, Lobelia Sackville Baggins, who, whatever. Um, she's not hot, so you can't put her in a movie. (laughs) She was replaced by Rosie, Rosie Cotton or whatever, because she's hotter. Yeah. She's like a hot hobbit. But- they they specifically were like, man, we really need more women in this movie. And, like, the easiest way to do this is to have this character who exists in the books take on a bigger role. And one of the interesting things about this, I think, is, like, wh- at least for me, and I feel like if I remember our conversations from this time accurately, probably for you guys, too, like, we all hated Arwen in the movies. Like, we really did. And looking at it now, I'm just like, why did we not appreciate the fact that this, like, badass elf character exists? And, and like, this scene is actually really cool in the movies where she fights off the Black Riders with this, with the river and, like, outraces them on the horse and everything. And, like, I don't know. Well, I, think I, we didn't, I think we didn't appreciate it because it's, like, that's, like, I can fully tell you why. That's, like, a, it's, like, a token thing. Like, she's put into the movie, like, the, the, like, the sexualization of her character is, like, um... I feel like it was a couple of things, right? And one is definitely there may or may not have been some internalized misogyny around Arwen's character that we experience. For me, I didn't dislike her in Fellowship. I thought she was fine in Fellowship, even if she doesn't like she doesn't have much in the way of character. But everything she does in this particular appearance is cool like the riding through the woods is awesome and the way she summons the horses at the river is badass and that was great the part where i stopped liking arwen was later on when there's just these endless sequences of like very soft focus pining and she doesn't seem to do anything (laughs) other than lie there and like waste away she wants to smooch that is some star wars died of a broken heart bullshit like okay super super interesting side note on this though um in the uh in the 
commentary, Peter Jackson actually brings up the fact that they actually filmed a bunch of Arwen battle scenes. Like, she actually was supposed to show up at Helm's Deep and be fighting with the elves there. Um, and I think there's a couple other things where, like, originally they had her bringing uh, Nar- the reforged shards of Narsil Anduril to Aragorn and, like, being in that role. And they kind of edited a lot of that out, which makes me really mad because I think we would have liked her a lot more if those scenes were there. And actually, there are a couple of scenes at Helm's Deep where if you, like, freeze frame at the right time, like, she is in the background still. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they gave her an action scene so that she would be, and I say this with capital letters, the cool love interest. Yes, yes, exactly. there's absolutely this sense of, oh, well, if we let her do one action-y thing, then she's a strong female character. Right, which is like... Also said with capital in letters, like the not in a like good way. Angelina Jolie and like, 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 like characters, like female characters in movies where they're like, they embody this duality of being like, um, like, like classically feminine and also, and also like they carry like a rocket launcher, right? We have yes, a character like that in this series, in a series, way that though. is designed to appeal to men. But we already have a character like that in this series. That's Eowyn. Like, no, it's not. Yeah, I, it is. I think that I, I, you, you think that you think that Eowyn is like classically feminine. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think she like really wants to defend her kingdom and her king, but like, I don't think she wants to be a man. But I guess what I mean is that like one sort of trope of female characters that seems like a little bit less common now, but was present for. Um, for a while there, the turn of the millennium was uh, was just very. Um, it was like, like sexy action lady. Yeah, sex, sexy action lady who sort of like these has these two parts of her character, like the sexy part and the action part, and um, they never really they never really meet, right? You never really get a sense of like how these things interact with each other. Whereas with Aowen, I feel like they're two sort of like unified parts of her character, right? It all sort of like holds together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it doesn't feel like that's sort of shoehorned in to appease female moviegoers. Well, I think that kind of like brings me to another point that I wanted to make, which is, you know, we were recently talking about this podcast's existence and like why we're doing this and stuff. And one of the things that came up was just like that this fandom is is very dominated by men in general. Um and now, I mean, kind of like thinking about this, like, of course it is, you know, there are, this is a story about men and it is told by men. When you say that the fandom is dominated by men, I think what we kind of have to distinguish there is that the publicly yeah. accepted or like the quote unquote legitimate fandom is dominated by men, right? Yeah. And that there's absolutely many sort of other kinds of Lord of the Rings fans out there, but they are not necessarily as sort of permitted in public space because often when they're in public spaces, they get met with a lot of like, oh, well, you're not a real fan if you can't like <laughs> name the top 50 most mentioned characters. <laughs> yeah, right? Like there's a yeah. lot of. Uh, there's some really interesting articles out there on the difference between what it means to be a fandom in the sense of you need to have sort of factual knowledge of a thing versus like, how do you interact with it? Are you engaged in transformative works? Like, is that 
as legitimate a way to be in fandom yeah. versus just being a repository of facts. Can you be a fan um, if you just like something? Right? Wild. Like if Maybe I don't, if you I can like just don't, like, enjoy write, something. Yeah. Like if I don't, if I don't like make like if I don't write fan fiction and and I don't go to like trivia nights. Um, and I've been to Comic Con like one time. But I mean, genuine question, like. Do you consider yourself a fan of things that you just like but don't engage with in other ways? You're asking me? Yeah. I mean, because I guess, like, the way that I would interpret the the term fan is, like, somebody who's a little bit more than just, like, baseline enjoying something. Wait, wait, wait. But I want to go back to, Wanda, what were you getting at with this idea of, like, can I be a fan if I... If I like something, if I don't enjoy myself at Comic Con, oh, like uh, it, it's it's more just that like the topic that was raised a few minutes ago was um, was about how the fandom, like the Lord of the Rings, you know, public fandom is overwhelmingly men, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I I guess what what I'm trying to raise is like is that is that the right um, unit of engagement through which we should be thinking about this series, right? As opposed to like. Um, as opposed to just, like, people who like this. I still um, think that... I don't know, like, if I want to say vast majority. Like, I think it's probably there are, like, a lot more female fans than than are, like, out there vocally on the internet saying they're fans of this. But I also still think that it is a generally male-dominated fandom, as I, as a lot of fantasy tends to be, I think. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that. I think in certain spaces, you're going to find that it's male-dominated, and in other spaces, you're going to find that it's, like, overwhelmingly either women or non-binary folks. And I'm thinking of um, many years ago, back when Noelle Stevenson was just a very popular artist on Tumblr, she did a whole series of, like, Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn as road trip bros, uh, like artwork of these characters wearing like flannels and dressed like very stylish lumberjacks. It, it was cute art, right? Mm, that sounds um, that sounds nice. I want to see that. Yeah, it's it's cute. If you haven't seen it, Google it. Check it out. Ginger Hayes on Tumblr, I think, is still her handle. Um, but there was tons of engagement with that, and you cannot tell me that the thousands or tens of thousands of people who were interacting with those posts were mostly men. Yeah, I think that's important to point out, because like it underscores <laughs> that there are so many ways to be a fan of something, even if you're not represented there. Like, There's no need to throw us one badass female elf in the movie, or else we won't engage. Well, I have a question for you, though, because, like, so I, I know I know many uh, female Lord of the Rings fans in my life, um, and obviously we are three of them, but I haven't, I don't think I've ever asked you guys this question, but all of the other ones I've interacted with, myself included, like, probably our hands-down favorite scene in either books or movies is Eowyn's takedown of the Witch King, uh, in which, you know, she says the line, I am no man. And it is a pretty, like, iconic feminist moment, I think, in these books. But also, like, the fact that we all pick up on that one moment of representation and we're just like, yes, I needed this. 
I still think that that's important. Like, I think that that representation is important and it's not like, yes, obviously you can like something that you are not strictly represented in, but I also think that it is the responsibility of creators to make sure that they are representing people. I'm, I'm basically like in total agreement with you. Like, I think that there's, um, there's, there is an, there's a degree to which like, you know, seeing like representation of like non-men and like non-white people in books and movies is like a good thing all on its own. But I think that like, it's, it, um, we take it in the wrong direction when we, when we sort of assume that it's the representation that like permits you know, non-men and non-white people to enjoy something. Yes, absolutely. Like, we, you are not restricted from being a fan of something just because you you don't find... I mean, if if I had to only like stories that I was in, <laughs> like, the options yeah, are severely just, limited. You wouldn't have read a book for 10 years. And I really do think that, like, the, the, the like, like, the misconstruing of, of you know, like, representation ethics i guess as like you know oh these people are only going to like something if they see themselves represented in it leads to like a lot of really bad work i mean it leads to a lot of token characters too right like you just get the casual throw-in of a character where it's like oh like the blank group of people will love this one and they don't spend any effort actually like fleshing that character out or making them realistic or making them likable and you're just like why did you do this yeah I definitely agree with both of those things. And at the same time, I will say that I kind of am at the point in my life where, like, honestly, I don't watch new shows or read new books with white male protagonists anymore. And it's not something where I think I wouldn't enjoy those books or, like, I can't enjoy those books because there isn't representation in them but that I feel like I have limited time on this planet and I would rather focus my energy and my time on different kinds of stories these days. And so there kind of is an element of, like, it doesn't mean I don't like Lord of the Rings, even though all of the protagonists are guys, but it is kind of something that I think, like, and I know... I'm not the only person in my life who has come to that sort of on their own um, that they just like I have friends who don't read authors that aren't women of color. And that's just a decision that they made for themselves because those were the kinds of stories that they decided they were tired of only seeing women included as a token and so they went, okay, well, I'm going to do something about it, right? And I'm going to look for other kinds of stories. I mean, I'm going to, like, obviously everybody is well within their right to choose whatever art they want to engage with. I think from a personal standpoint, like, I would really, really strongly disagree with that premise just because I think, like, representation is totally important and that everybody should make an effort to include a realistic representation of of what people are actually like in the world in in their work but i also don't i kind of like reject the idea that like (laughs) 
just because you're a white man means you don't have a story to tell. Like I, oh, I'm not rejecting the fact that they have. Or sorry, I, I meant tell. like a story just, that I would find interesting. Like I, well, and I get again. I don't sort of dispute that these stories aren't interesting. I just don't think that they are where I want to spend my time because the idea that there's sort of a like I can't find interesting things to read by women of color, for instance, or about women of color. I'm like, no, there are lots of great stories out there about women of color. So if I have sort of limited time, right, obviously, if I could read every good book on the planet, Mm -hmm. yes, I would like to read every sort of book that I would enjoy on the planet. But I can't do that because I have to work and also sleep and eat and occasionally do laundry very begrudgingly. And so like, if I have the choice between two books and one is by a, or about a white man and one <laughs> is about a woman of color, I'm going to pick the one about the woman of color because that's a story that I would rather read. And yet here you are you know? on this podcast dedicating like... so many hours of your time to reading this book about all white men. <laughs> because I think we can talk about it in a way that comes at it from a different perspective than... Yeah, you're creating the art. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think we're talking about it in a way that comes at it from a different perspective. No, totally. Yeah, I, I was teasing. you normally hear. <laughs> I mean, if you want me to stop, Navia. No, no, please don't. Um, also, just a quick time check here. I don't know if we yeah. want to segue out. I did want to bring it back and, and ask you guys one question about um, about the about the Glorfindel versus Arwen scene, which is uh, if... If Peter Jackson and the the people could have had one other character in Lord of the Rings rescue uh, rescue Frodo in this chapter, like who else? <laughs> I I just began thinking about this. Like, <laughs> could have just had like Bilbo right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bilbo comes in, beats the Black Riders with his cane, storms off. Yeah, yeah I think I like that headcanon the best. <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Wanda. You can find us on Twitter and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. If you want to help support the show, you can find a link to our Patreon in the show notes. Special thanks to Andrew for our theme music, Sneha for our social media, and all our listeners for joining us on this journey.